This is I Don't Know What to Read You. I'm Kat. I'm Michelle. And we're here for part two. We are. I hope you're psyched for the thrilling conclusion of The Young Visitors. Can I, can I make a confession? What? I don't really remember what was happening, except that someone went to like a finishing school for noble gentlemen and the lady was left unattended. Please, Mr. Saltina. Okay. 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 The elderly man of 42 who is fond of having people stay with him. Right. Went okay. to like some sort Among of... them Ethel. Right. He went to the Crystal Palace where a bunch of rich people have apartments. Right. And they're used to bringing up people who have weird... Not weird, but like less classy stuff in their family. Okay. And educating them in the way of high... I'm not sure if this actually happened or if this is just something that Daisy Ashford figured might happen right. or... If it's just 42 seems awfully late in the game, right? It does. And I didn't really know that this was a thing that you could do. That if right. you wanted to be have a higher social standing, you could just kind of pay someone and hang out with them for a while i mean i guess that sort of follows but i just i didn't know so weird anyway i'm, I'm really happy we had a we had a good response to this one i, I people liked it so i'm, right, I'm really great. happy that uh, you guys are joining us in this experiment well i personally find this very enjoyable it's it's, it's nice it's nice it is certainly nice and it's really relaxing yeah okay so we are going to resume at chapter six and what was the young lady's name and the the young man she was the young lady was Ethel. Ethel. Or Miss Montague. Or Miss Montague. And the young man was Bernard. All right, so chapter six, High Life. Mr. Saltina awoke next morning in his small but pleasant room. It was done in green and white with monograms on the toilet set. He had a tiny white bed with a green quilt and a picture of the Nativity and one of Windsor Castle on the walls. The sun was shining over all these things as Mr. Saltina opened his sleepy eyes. Just then, there was a rat-tat on the door. Come in, called Mr. Saltina, and in came Edward Procurio, balancing a tray very cleverly. He looked most elegant with his shiny black hair and pale yellow face and half-shut eyes. Okay. <laughs> she, just, she just described Jughead from Archie. <laughs> <laughs> he smiled in a very mysterious and superior way, this Jughead, <laughs> as he placed the tray on Mr. Saltina's pointed knees. Your early beverage, he announced, and began to pull up the blinds, still smiling to himself. He's high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, cried Mr. Saltina, feeling very tousled compared to this grand fellow. Then to his great surprise, Procurio began to open the wardrobe and look at Mr. Saltina's suit, making Italian exclamations under his breath. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's basically just... Open the wardrobe right. and like, Mamma Mia. <laughs> um, Mr. Saltina dare not say a word, so he swallowed his tea and ate a merry biscuit hastily. Presently, Procurio advanced to the bed with a bright blue serge suit. Will you wear this today, sir? He asked quietly. Oh, certainly, said Mr. Saltina. And a clean shirt would not come amiss, said Procurio. What about this pale blue and white stripe? With pleasure, replied Mr. Saltina. So Procurio laid them out in neat array, also a razor and brush for shaving. Then he opened a door saying, this is the bathroom. Shall I turn on hot or cold? <laughs> I don't mind, said Mr. Saltina, feeling, feeling very hot and ignorant. <laughs> it is best for you to decide, sir, said Procurio firmly. Well, I will try cold, said Mr. Saltina, feeling it was more manly to say that. Procurio bowed and beat a retreat to the bathroom. Then he returned and told Mr. Saltina that when he was washed, he would find his breakfast in the sitting room. 
When Mr. Saltino was dressed in his best blue suit and clean shirt, he strolled into the sitting room where a gay canary was singing fit to burst <laughs> in the window and a couple of doves cooing in a wicker cage. A cheery smell greeted him as Procurio glided in with some steaming coffee. Mr. Saltina felt more at home and passed a few remarks about the weather. Procurio smiled and uncovered some lovely kidneys on toast. Oh, wait, like kidney beans. Okay. okay right. <laughs> I was like, ooh, that's, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> and as he did so, bent and whispered in Mr. Saltina's ear, You could have some in your dressing gown. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> Mr. Saltina gave a start. Oh, can I? He said, 10,000 thanks. I don't know what that moment oh, was. Does it mean he doesn't have to get changed first? Oh, oh okay. The okay, whisper think, was a little yeah, hot, though. I felt like it's like, I'm going to fill your pockets with kidney beans. <laughs> I was like, that's not gentlemanly. What are you going to Sloshing pockets with kidney beans. Also, it just it feels a little weird to have Procurio serving him. Well, Procurio is like, he serves all the guys there. He's like, they're... Oh, Procurio is not... Yeah, he takes care... No, he takes care of the area. Okay, I'm confused yeah. on that point. Okay, yes. All right. Um, then Procurio passed out, and Mr. Saltina finished his kidneys and chirped to the birds and had a cigarette from a handsome purple box, which he found on the desk. Then Procurio entered once more, and with a bow said, His lordship is going to a levee this morning and thinks it might amuse you to go too. Could you be ready by eleven o'clock? Oh, yes, what fun, said Mr. Saltina. Have you any notion what a levy is, my man? I <laughs> had <laughs> the same question. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Procurio gave a superior smile. It is a party given by the Queen to very superior people, but this one is given by the Prince of Wales, as the Queen is not quite her usual self today. It will be at Buckingham Palace, so you will drive with his lordship. Mr. Saltina was fearfully excited. What shall I wear, he gasped. Well, of course, you ought to have black satin knickerbockers and a hat with white feathers, also garters and a star or two. You surprise me, said Mr. Saltina. I have none of those articles. <laughs> well, said Procurio kindly, his lordship will lend you his second best cocked hat, as you are obliged to wear one, and I think with a little thort I might rig you up so as to pass muster. Then they rummaged among Mr. Saltina's things, and Procurio got very intelligent and advised Mr. Saltina to wear his black evening suit and roll up his trousers. He also lent him a pair of white silk stockings, which he fastened tightly round his knees with red rosettes. Then he quickly cut out a star in silver paper and pinned it to his chest and also added a strip of red ribbon across his shirt front. Then Mr. Saltina surveyed himself in the glass. Is it a fancy dress party? he asked. No, they always wear that kind of thing, but wait till you see his lordship. If you are ready, sir, I will conduct you in. Mr. Saltina followed Procurio up countless stairs till they came to the Earl's compartments and tapped on the bedroom door. Come in, cried a merry voice, and in they strode. I have done my best with Mr. Saltina, my lord. I trust he will do the hat, of course. No, <laughs> I trust he will do. The hat, of course, will make a deal of difference. There's no punctuation in that one. <laughs> uh, Mr. Saltina bowed nervously, wishing he had got correct knickerbockers, as his trousers did not feel too firm in spite of the garters. Not half bad, cried the Earl. Try on the hat, Saltina. It is on my bed. Mr. Saltina placed it on his head, and the feathers and gold braid became him very well, but he felt very jealous of the Earl, who looked a sight for the gods. <laughs> <laughs> he had proper satin knickerbockers with diamond clasps and buckled shoes and black silk stockings, which showed up his long, fine legs. Jeez. He had a floppy shirt of softest muslin with real lace collar and cuffs. 
A sword hung at his side, and a crimson sash was round his waist, and a splendid cocked hat on his head. His blue eyes twinkled as he pulled on a pair of white kid gloves. Well, come on, Saltina, he cried, and don't be nervous. I will get you a pair of knickers tomorrow. <laughs> will you get a handsome Procurio? Presently, the Earl and Mr. Saltina were clattering away to Buckingham Palace. You won't mind if I introduce you as Lord Hyssops, do you? said the Earl as he lit his pipe. You see, you are sort of mixed up with your family, so it won't matter, and will look better. <laughs> so it would, said Mr. Saltina. What do we do at the levee? Oh, we stroll round and eat ices and champagne and that kind of thing, and sometimes there is a little music. Is there any dancing? asked Mr. Saltina. Well, not always, said the Earl. I am glad of that, said Mr. Saltina. I am not so nimble as I was, and my garters are a trifle tight. Sometimes we talk about the laws and politics, said the Earl, if Her Majesty is in that kind of mood. <laughs> Just then the splendid edifice appeared in view, and Mr. Saltina licked his dry lips at sight of the vast crowd. All round were carriages full of costly people, and outside the railing stood tall life guards, keeping off the mere people who had gathered to watch the nobility <laughs> clatter up. <laughs> Lord Clincham began to bow right and left, raising his cocked hat to his friends. There was a lot of laughter and friendly words as the cab finally drew up at the front door. Two tall lifeguards whisked open the, the doors, and one of them kindly tipped the cabman. Mr. Saltina followed his lordship up the grand steps, trying to feel as homely as he could. Then a splendid-looking fellow in a red tunic and a sort of black velvet tam stepped forward from the throng, shouting, "'What name, please?' The Earl of Clincham and Lord Hyssops calmly replied, "'The Earl,' gently nudging Mr. Saltina to act up. Mr. Saltina nodded and blinked at the menial, as much as to say all is well, and then he and the Earl hung up their cocked hats on two pegs. This way, cried a deep voice, and another menial appeared wearing stiff white breeches, top boots, and a green velvet coat with a leather belt, also a very shiny top hat. They followed this fellow down countless corridors and finally came to big folding doors. The Earl twiddled his mustache and slapped his leg with his white glove as calmly as could be. Mr. Saltina perspired rather hard and gave a hitch to his garters to make sure. Then the portals divided, and their names were shouted in chorus by countless domestics. The sumptuous room was packed with men of a noble nature dressed like the Earl in satin knickerbockers, etc., and with ladies of every hue with long trains and jewels by the dozen. You could hardly move in the gay throng. Dukes were as not, as there were a good lot of princes and archdukes, as it was a very superior levy indeed. Oh, wow. The Earl and Mr. Saltina struggled through the crowd till they came to a platform draped with white velvet. Here, on a golden chair, was seated the Prince of Wales in a lovely ermine cloak and a small but costly crown. He was chatting quite genially with some of the crowd. Up clambered the Earl, followed at top speed by Mr. Saltina. "'Hello, Clincham!' cried the Prince, quite homely and not at all grand. "'So glad you turned up. Quite a squash, eh?' <laughs> "'A bit overpowering, your highness,' said the earl, who was quite used to all this. "'May I introduce my friend Lord Hyssops? He is staying with me, so I thought I would bring him along, if you don't mind, prince.' "'Not at all!' cried the genial prince, looking rather surprised. Mr. Saltina bowed so low he nearly fell off the platform, and as the prince put out a hand, Mr. Saltina thought he had better kiss it. The prince smiled kindly. "'I am pleased to see you, Lord Hyssops,' he said in a regal voice." Then the earl chipped in, and how is the dear queen, he said reverently. Not up to much, said his highness. She feels the heat, poor soul. And he waved to a placard which said in large letters that the queen is indisposed. 
Presently, his highness rose. I think I will have a quiet glass of champagne, he said. You come too, Clincham, and bring your friend. The, dip- the diplomats are arriving. <laughs> the diplomats of these different people. <laughs> and I am not much in the mood for deep talk. I have already signed a dozen documents, so I have done my duty. They all went out by a private door and found themselves in a smaller but gorgeous room. The prince tapped on the table and instantly two menials in red tunics appeared. Bring three glasses of champagne, commanded the prince, and some ices, he added majestically. The goods appeared as if by magic, and the prince drew out a cigar case and passed it round. One grows weary of court life, he remarked. Ah, yes, agreed the earl. It upsets me, said the prince, lapping up his strawberry ice. All I want is peace and quiet and a little fun, and here I am tied down to this life, he said, taking off his crown. Being royal has many painful drawbacks. True, mused the earl. Silence fell, and the strains of the band could be heard from the next room. Suddenly, the prince gazed at Mr. Saltina. "'Who did you say you were?' he asked in a puzzled tone. "'Lord Hyssops,' responded our hero, growing purple at the lie. <laughs> "'Well, you are not a bit like the Lord Hyssops, I know,' replied the prince. "'Could you explain matters?' <laughs> Mr. Saltina gazed helplessly at the earl, who had grown very pale and seemed lost for the moment. However, he quickly recovered. "'He is quite all right, really, prince,' he said. "'His mother was called Miss Hyssops of the Glen.' Indeed, said His Royal Highness, that sounds correct, but who is your father, eh? Then Mr. Saltina thought he would not tell a lie, so in trembly tones he muttered, My poor father was but a butcher, Your Highness, a very honest one, I may add, and passing rich he was, called Dominic Saltina, and my name is Alfred Saltina. The prince stroked his yellow beard and rather admired Mr. Saltina for his truthful utterance. Oh, I see, he said. Why, well, why did you palm off on my menials as Lord Hyssops, eh? Mr. Saltina wiped his sweating brow, but the Earl came to the rescue nobly. My fault entirely, Prince, he chimed in. As I was bringing him to this very superior levy, I thought it would be better to say he was of noble birth. Have I offended your royal dignity? Not much, said the Prince. It was a laudable notion, and perhaps I will ask Mr. Saltina to one of my big balls some day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, your highness, gasped our hero, falling on one knee. That would indeed be a treat. (laughs) I suppose, prince, you have not got a job going at this palace for my friend, asked the earl. You see, I am rubbing him up in society ways, and he fancies court life as a profession. Oh, does he, said the prince, blinking his eyes. Well, I might see. I suggested if there was a vacancy going, he might try cantering after the royal barouche, said the earl. So he might, said the prince. I will speak to the Prime Minister about it and let you know. Ten thousand thanks, cried Mr. Saltina, bowing low. Well, now I must get along back to the levee, announced the Prince, putting on his crown. I have booked a valse with the Archduchess of Greenwich, and this is her favorite tune. So saying, they issued back to the big room, where the nobility were whirling gaily, and the more serious people, such as the Prime Minister and the Admirals, etc., were eating ices and talking passionately about the laws in a low undertone. (laughs) The earl was soon mingling gaily in a set of lancers, but Mr. Saltina dared not because of his trousers. However, he sat on a velvet chair and quite enjoyed overhearing the intelligent conversation of the Prime Minister. And now we will leave our hero enjoying his glimpse of high life and return to Ethel Montague. Alright, so uh, we're on chapter 7, and it's called Bernard's Idea. After Mr. Saltina had departed, Bernard Clark thought he would show Ethel over his house so they spent a merry morning so doing. 
Ethel passed bright remarks on all the rooms, and Bernard thought she was most pretty, and Ethel began to be a bit excited. After a lovely lunch, they sat in the gloomy hall, and Ethel began to feel very glad Mr. Saltina was not there. <laughs> Suddenly, Bernard lit his pipe. I was thinking, he said passionately, about going up to London for a week's gaiety. Who? inquired Ethel in a low tone. You and me, said Bernard. I know of several splendid hotels, and we could go to theatres and parties and enjoy ourselves to the full. It is now that I remember just how terrible the punctuation is. <laughs> it's really rough. All the problems that it can create for someone reading from this book. The magic of editing will have made the last chapter sound really smooth, but I had to take several runs at a lot of those. <laughs> so, we could, what an idea, cried Ethel. No quotation marks also does not help anybody. <laughs> So the merry plan was all arranged, and they spent the afternoon in packing their trunks. Uh, next day, they were all ready in the hall when the handsome vehicle once more clattered up. Ethel had on her blue velvet get-up and a sweet new hat and plenty of rouge on her face, and looked quite a seemly counterpart for Bernard, who was arrayed in a white and shiny Macintosh top boots and a well-brushed top hat tied on to him with a bit of black elastic. Well, good night, Minute, he cried to the somber butlet. butler. Take care of your gout. <laughs> good night, butlet. <laughs> well, good night, Minute, he cried to the somber butler. Take care of your gout and the silver. I will pay your wages when I come back. Thank you kindly, sir, murmured Minute. When may I expect your return? Oh, well, I will wire, he said, and dashed down the steps. Ethel followed with small ladylike steps, having bowed pertinently to Minute, who closed his eyes in acknowledgement of her kindness. The sun was shining, and Ethel had the feeling of going to a very jolly party, and felt so sorry for all the passers-by who were not going to London with Bernard. Arrived in the gay city, Bernard hailed a cab to the manor born and got in, followed by Ethel. Kindly drive us to Gaiety Hotel, he cried in a firm tone. The cabman waved his whip, and off they dashed. "'We shall be highly comfortable and select at the gaiety,' said Bernard, and he thought to himself how lovely it would be if he was married to Ethel. He blushed a deep shade at his own thoughts and gave a sigh-long glance at Ethel, who was gazing out the window. "'Well, one never knows,' he murmured to himself, and as one of the poets says, great events from trivial causes spring." Just then they stopped at the gay hotel, and Ethel was spellbound at the sight of the big hall. Bernard poked his head into the window of the pay desk. "'Have you a couple of bedrooms for self and a young lady?' he inquired in a lordly way. A very handsome lady with golden hair and a lace apron glanced at a book and hastily replied, "'Oh, yes, sir, two beauties on the first floor, number nine and ten. "'Thank you,' said Bernard. "'We will go up if you have no objection.' "'None whatever, sir,' said the genial lady. "'The beds are well aired, and the view is quite pleasant.' "'Come along, Ethel,' cried Bernard. "'This sounds all right, eh?' "'Oh, quite,' said Ethel, with a beaming smile. "'They went upstairs and entered number nine, "'a very fine compartment with a large downy bed "'and white doors with glass handles, "'leading into number ten, an equally dainty room, "'but a trifle smaller. "'Which will you have, Ethel?' asked Bernard. "'Oh, well, I would rather you settle it,' said Ethel.' I am willing to abide by your choice. The best shall be yours, then, said Bernard, bowing gallantly and pointing to the biggest room. Ethel blushed at his speaking look. I shall be quite lost in the huge bed, she added, to hide her embarrassment. 
Yes, I expect you will, said Bernard. <laughs> and now, what about a little table d'hote followed by a theater? Oh, yes, cried Apples, and downstairs they went. Chapter 8, A Gay Call I tell you what, Ethel, said Bernard Clark, about a week later, we might go and pay a call on my pal, the Earl of Clincham. Oh, do let's, cried Ethel, who was game for any new adventure. I would dearly love to meet his lordship. Bernard gave a frown of jealousy at her rather mere words. Well, dress in your best, he muttered. Ethel skipped into her bedroom and arrayed herself in a grass-green muslin of decent cut, a lace scarf, long fawn colored kid gloves and a muslin hat to correspond she carried a parasol in one hand also a green silk bag containing a few stray hairpins a clean handkerchief five shillings and a pot of rouge in case she looked a dainty vision with her hair fair hair waving in the breeze and bernard bit his lips rather hard for he could hardly contain himself and felt he must marry ethel soon he looked a handsome sight himself in quite expensive white trousers with a silk shirt and a pale blue blazer belt and cap. He wore this in honour of the Earl, who had been to Cambridge in his youth, and so had Bernard Clark. At last they found themselves in the entrance hall of the Crystal Palace, and speedily made their way to the private compartments. Edward Procurio was walking up and down, passing, looking dark and mysterious as usual. "'Is his lordship at home?' cried Bernard Clark cheerily. "'Which one?' asked Procurio. "'Many lords live here,' he said scornfully. "'Well, I mean the Earl of Clincham,' said Bernard. "'Oh, yes, he is,' responded Procurio, "'and to the best of my belief, giving a party.' "'Indeed!' ejaculated Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> "'We have come in the nick of time,' Ethel, he added. "'Yes,' said Ethel, in an excited tone. "'They were peeled on the bell. "'Oh, then they peeled on the bell, and the door flew open.' Sounds of laughter and comic songs issued from the abode, and in a second they were in the crowded drawing-room. It was packed with all the elite, and a stout duchess with a good-natured face was singing a lively song and causing much merriment. The earl strode forward at sight of two newcomers. "'Hello, Bernard, old boy,' he cried. "'This is a pleasure. And who have you got with you?' he added, glancing at Ethel. "'Oh, this is Miss Montague,' said Bernard. "'Shall I introduce you?' "'If you will be so good,' said the Earl in an affable tone, and if Bernard hastily performed the rite. Ethel began a bright conversation, while Bernard strolled off to see if he could find any friends amid the throng. "'What pleasant compartments you have!' cried Ethel in rather a society tone. <laughs> "'Fairly so,' so responded the Earl." Do you live in London? he added in a loud tone, as someone was playing a very difficult piece on the piano. Well, no, I don't, said Ethel. My home is really in North Cumberland, but I am present stopping with Mr. Clark at the Gaiety Hotel, she continued, in somewhat showing-off tone. Oh, I see, said the Earl. Well, shall I introduce you to a few of my friends? Oh, please do, said Ethel, with a dainty blow at her nose. The Earl disappeared into the maddening crowd, and presently came back with a middle-aged gentleman. "'This is Lord Hyssops,' he said. "'My friend, Miss Montague,' he added genially. Ethel turned a dull yellow. "'Lord Hyssops,' she said in a faint voice. "'Why, it is Mr. Saltina. I know him well.' "'Hush!' cried the Earl. "'It is a title bestowed recently by my friend, the Prince of Wales.' 
Yes, indeed, murmured Mr. Saltina, deeply flabbergasted by the ready wit of the Earl. Oh, indeed, said Ethel in a peevish tone. Well, how do you come to be here? I am stopping with his lordship, said Mr. Saltina, and have a set of compartments in the basement, so there. I don't care, said Huffy Ethel. I am in handsome rooms at the Gaiety. Nothing could be nicer, I am sure, struck in the Earl. <laughs> what do you say, hyssops, eh? Doubtless it is charming, said Mr. Saltina, who was wanting peace. Tell me, Ethel, how did you leave Bernard? I have not left him, said Ethel in an annoying voice. I am stopping with him at the Gaiety, and we have been to lots of theatres and dances. Well, I am glad you are enjoying yourself, said Mr. Saltina. You have been looking pale of late. No wonder in your stuffy domain, cried Ethel. Well, have you got any more friends, she added, turning to the Earl. Well, I will see, said the obliging Earl, and he once more disappeared. I don't know why you should turn against me, Ethel, said Mr. Saltina in a low tone. Ethel patted her hair and looked very sneery. Well, I call it very mysterious, and you going off and getting a title, said Ethel, and I think our friendship had better stop, as no doubt you will soon be marrying a duchess or something. <laughs> Not at all, said Mr. Saltina. You must know, Ethel, he said, blushing a deep red. I always wish to marry you some fine day. Hmm. Oh. This is news to me, cried <laughs> Ethel, still peevish. But not to me, murmured Mr. Saltina, and his voice trembled in his chest. I may add that I have always loved you, and now I seem to do so madly, he added passionately. But I don't love you, responded Ethel. <laughs> but if you married me, you might get to, said Mr. Saltina. I think not, replied Ethel, and all the same, it is very kind of you to ask me. And she smiled more nicely at him. This is agony, cried Mr. Saltina, <laughs> clutching hold of a table. My life will be sour grapes and ashes without you. Be a man, said Ethel in a gentle whisper, and I shall always think of you in a warm manner. Well, half a loaf is better than no bread, responded Mr. Saltina in a gloomy voice. And just then the Earl reappeared with a very brisk lady in a tight silk dress whose name was called Lady Gay Finchling. And her husband was a general, but had been dead a few years. Okay, so this is Miss Montague, she began in a rather high voice. Oh, yes, said Ethel, and Mr. Saltina wiped the foaming dew from his forehead. Ew. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't write it, I just read it. <laughs> Little did Lady Gay Finchling guess she had just disturbed a proposal of marriage. The Earl chimed into the conversation now and again, and Lady Gay Finchling told several rather witty stories to enliven the party. Then Bernard Clark came up and said they had better get going. Well, goodbye, Clincham, he said, and I must say I have enjoyed this party. Most rechauffee, I call it. Don't you, Ethel? Most, cried Ethel. I suppose you often come, she added in a tone of envy to Lady Gay Finchling. Pretty often, said Lady G.F., well, goodbye, as I see you are in a hurry to be off, and she dashed off towards the refreshment place. Goodbye, Ethel, said poor Mr. Saltina in a spasm, and he seized hold of her hand. You will one day rue your wicked words. Farewell, he repeated emphatically. <laughs> oh, well, goodbye, said Ethel in a vague tone, and then turning to the Earl, she said, I have enjoyed myself very much, thank you. 
please don't mention it, cried the Earl. Well, goodbye, Bernard, he added. I shall look you up some day at your hotel. Yes, do, muttered Bernard. Always welcome, Clincham, old boy, he added, placing his blue cricket cap on his head. And so saying, he and Ethel left the gay scene and once more oozed forth into the streets of London. <laughs> so, all right. Chapter 9. A Proposal. Next morning, while imbibing his morning tea beneath his pink silken quilt, Bernard decided he must marry Ethel with no more delay. I love the girl, he said to himself, and she must be mine, but I somehow feel I cannot propose in London. It would not be seemly in the city of London. We must go for a day in the country, and when surrounded by the gay twittering of the birds and the smell of the cows... <laughs> <laughs> all right i will lay my suit at her feet and he waved his arm wildly at the gay thought then he sprang from bed and gave a rat tat at ethel's door are you up my dear he called well not quite yet said ethel hastily jumping from her downy nest <laughs> be quick cried bernard i have a plan to spend a day near windsor castle and we will take our lunch and spend a happy day Oh, hurrah, shouted Ethel. I shall soon be ready, as I had my bath last night, so won't wash very much now. <laughs> no, don't, said Bernard, and added in a rather fervent tone through the chink of the door. You are fresher than the rose, my dear. No soap could make you fairer. <laughs> <laughs> then he dashed off, very embarrassed, to dress. Ethel blushed and felt a bit excited as she heard the words and put on a new white muslin dress in a fit of high spirits. She looked very beautiful with some red roses in her hat, and the dainty red rouge in her cheeks looked quite the thing. Bernard heaved a sigh, and his eyes flashed as he beheld her, and Ethel thought to herself what a fine type of manhood he represented, <laughs> with his nice thin legs and pale brown trousers and well-fitting spats and a red rose in his buttonhole and rather a sporting cap, which gave him a great air with its quaint check and little flaps to pull down if necessary. <laughs> Off they started, the envy of all the waiters. <laughs> they arrived at Windsor, very hot from the journey, and Bernard at once hired a boat to row his beloved up the river. Ethel could not row. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she much enjoyed seeing the tough, sunburnt arms of Bernard tugging at the oars as she lay among the rich cushions of the dainty boat. This is getting, like, really intense all of a yeah. sudden. <laughs> she had a rather lazy nature, but Bernard did not know of this. However, he soon got dog-tired and suggested lunch by the mossy bank. "'Oh, yes,' said Ethel, quickly opening the sparkling champagne. "'Don't spill any,' cried Bernard as he carved some chicken. They ate and drank deeply of the charming viands, ending up with meringues and chocolates. "'Let us now bask under the spreading trees,' said Bernard in a passionate tone. "'Oh, yes, let's,' said Ethel, and she opened her dainty parasol and sank down upon the long green grass." <laughs> She closed her eyes, but she was far from asleep. Bernard sat beside her in profound silence, gazing at her pink face and long, wavy eyelashes. <laughs> he puffed at his pipe for some moments, while the larks gaily caroled in the blue sky. Then he edged a trifle closer to Ethel's form. Ethel, he murmured in a trembly voice. Oh, what is it? said Ethel, hastily <laughs> sitting up. Words fail me, ejaculated Bernard, oh, hoarsely. My passion for you is intense, he added fervently. It has grown day and night since I first beheld you. Oh, said Ethel in surprise, I am not prepared for this, and she leant back against the trunk of the tree. Bernard placed one arm tightly round her. 
When will you marry me, Ethel? he uttered. You must be my wife. It has come to that I love you so intensely that if you say no, I shall perforce dash my body to the brink of yon muddy river, he panted wildly. Oh, don't do that, implored Ethel, breathing rather hard. Then say you love me, he cried. Oh, Bernard, she sighed fervently. I certainly love you madly. You are to me like a heathen god, she cried. Oh, my God. <laughs> Looking at his manly form and handsome flashing face. Oh, boy. I will indeed marry you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that got real steamy real fast. Lord, that's... Uh... <laughs> How soon, gasped Bernard, gazing at her intensely. As soon as possible, said Ethel, oh gently closing her eyes. My darling, whispered Bernard, and he seized her in his arms. We will be married next week. Oh, Bernard, muttered Ethel, this is so sudden. No, no, cried Bernard, and taking the bull by both horns, he kissed her violently on her dainty face. My bride-to-be, he murmured several times. Ethel trembled with joy as she heard the mystic words. Oh, Bernard, she said, little did I ever dream of such as this and she suddenly fainted into his outstretched arms. Oh, my God. Oh, I say, gasped Bernard, and laying the dainty burden on the grass, he dashed to the water's edge and got a cup full of the fragrant river (laughs) (laughs) to pour on his true love's pallid brow. She soon came to and looked up with a sickly smile. Take me back to the Garrity Hotel, she whispered faintly. With pleasure, my darling, said Bernard. I will just pack up our viands ere I unloose the boat. (laughs) Ethel felt better after a few drops of champagne and began to tidy her hair while Bernard packed the remains of the food. Then, arm in arm, they tottered to the boat. "'I trust you have not gotten illness, my darling,' murmured Bernard as he helped her in. "'Oh, no, I am very strong,' said Ethel. "'I fainted from joy,' she added to explain (laughs) matters. "'Oh, I see,' said Bernard, handing her a cushion. "'Well, some people do,' he added kindly. And so saying, they rode down the dark stream, now flowing silently beneath a golden moon." All was silent as the lovers glided home with joy in their hearts and radiance on their faces. Only the sound of the mysterious water lapping against the frail vessel broke the monotony of the night. So I will end my chapter. Okay, so chapter 10, Preparing for the Fray. The next few days were indeed busy for Ethel and Bernard. First of all, Ethel got some dainty pink notepaper with a silver crest on it and sent out invitations in the following terms to all their friends. Miss Ethel Montague will be married to Mr. Bernard Clark at Westminster Abbey on June 10th. Your company is requested there at 2.30 sharp, and afterwards for a refreshment at the Garrity Hotel, RSVP. Having posted heaps of these and got several replies, Ethel began to order her wedding dress, which cost a good bit. She chose a rich satin with a humped pattern of gold on the pure white, and it had a long train edged with arum lilies. Her veil was of pure lace with a crown of orange blossoms. Her bouquet she ordered to be of white dog daisies, St. Joseph lilies, and orange blossoms tied up with pale blue satin ribbon. "'You will indeed be a charming spectacle, my darling,' gasped Bernard as they left the shop. Then they drove to the tailor where Bernard ordered an elegant black suit— with coat-tails lined with crimson satin and a pale lavender tie, and an opera hat of the same hue, and he intended to wear violets in his buttonholes, also his best white spats, diamond studs, and a few extras of costly air. They both ordered a lot of new clothes besides, and Bernard gave Ethel a very huge... I think here she, he, they, she means to write tiara, but it's just tara. 
<laughs> so it's not a person. <laughs> so Bernard gave Ethel a very huge tara made of rubies and diamonds, also two rich bracelets, and Ethel gave him a brand new trunk of shiny green leather. The Earl of Clincham sent a charming gift of some hem-stitched sheets edged with real lace and a photo of himself in a striking attitude. All right. <laughs> going to put that up over the wedding bed. <laughs> Mr. Saltina sent Ethel a Bible with a few pious words of advice and regret, and he sent Bernard a very handy little camp stool. Ethel's parents were too poor to come so far, but her mother sent her a gold watch, which did not go, but had been some years in the family, and her father provided a check for two pounds and promised to send her a darling little baby calf when ready. Then they ordered the most splendid refreshments. They had tea and coffee and sparkling wines to drink, also a lovely wedding cake of great height with a sugar angel at the top holding a sword made of almond paste. <laughs> they had countless cakes besides, also ices, jelly, meringues, jam, tarts with plenty of jam on each, some cold tongue, some ham with salad and a pig's head done up in a wondrous manner. Ethel could hardly contain herself as she gazed at the sumptuous repast, and Bernard gave her a glass of rich wine while he imbibed some whiskey before going to bed. Ethel got speedily into her bed for the last time at the dear old Gaiety, and shed a few salt tears thinking of her past life, but she quickly cheered up and began to plan about how many children she would have. I hope I shall have a good lot, she thought to herself, and so saying fell into repose. All right. Almost done. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 11. The Wedding. The Abbey was indeed thronged next day when Ethel and Bernard cantered up in a very fine carriage, drawn by two prancing steeds who foamed a good deal. In the porch stood several clean altar boys who conducted the lucky pair up the aisle while the organ pealed a merry blast. The mighty edifice was packed, and seated in the front row was the Earl of Clincham, looking very brisk, as he was going to give Ethel away at the correct moment. Beside him sat Mr. Saltina, all in black, and looking bitterly sad, and he ground his teeth as Ethel came marching up. There were some merry hymns, and as soon as Ethel and Bernard were one, the clergyman began a sermon about Adam and Eve and the serpent, <laughs> and Mr. Saltina cried into his large handkerchief, and the earl kept on nudging him as his sniffs were rather loud. Then the wedding march peeled forth, and down the church stepped Ethel and Bernard as husband and wife. Into the cab they got and speedily dashed off to the gaiety. The wedding refreshments were indeed a treat to all, and even Mr. Saltina cheered up when he beheld the wedding cake in sparkling wines. Then the earl got up and made a very fine sh speech about marriage vows and bliss, and he quoted several good bits from the Bible, which got a lot of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard replied in good round terms. I thank your lordship for those kind remarks, he said in clear tones. I expect we shall be as happy as a lark, and I hope you will all be ditto some day. <laughs> here, here, muttered a stray lady in the crowd, and down sat Bernard while Ethel went up to change her wedding garment for a choice pink velvet dress with a golden girdle and a very chic toque. Wow, a toque? Toque? Bernard also put on a new suit of blue stripe and some silk socks and clean underclothing. <laughs> hurrah, hurrah, shouted the guests as the pair reappeared in the aforesaid get-ups. Then everybody got a bag of rice and sprinkled on the pair, 
and Mr. Saltina sadly threw a white tennis shoe at them, wiping his eyes the while. That's a weird tradition. (laughs) Off drove the happy pair, and the guests finished up the food. The happy pair went to Egypt for their honeymoon, as they thought it would be a nice warm spot, and they had never seen the wondrous land. Ethel was a bit sick on the boat, but Bernard braved the storm in manly style. (laughs) However, Ethel had recovered by the time they got to Egypt, and here we'll leave them for a merry six weeks of bliss while we return to England. You get the last chapter. Okay. This moves so fast. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's, I, I don't foresee a twist happening anytime <laughs> soon or anything, though. Uh, chapter 12, aptly titled, How It Ended. Mr. Saltina, by the aid of the Earl and the kindness of the Prince of Wales, managed to get a job his soul craved, and any day might be seen in Hyde Park or Piccadilly galloping madly after the royal carriage in a smart suit of green velvet with knickerbockers complete. At first he was rather terrified, as he was not used to riding, and he found his horse bumped him a good deal, and he had to cling on desperately to its flowing mane. At other times the horse would stop dead, and Mr. Saltina would use his spurs in bad language with no avail. But he soon got more used to his fresh and sultry steed, and his royal highness seemed satisfied. The Earl continued his merry life at the compartments, till finally he fell in love with one of the noble ladies who haunted them. She was not so pretty as Ethel, as she had rather a bulgy figure and brown eyes, but she had lovely raven tresses, a pointed nose, and a rose-like complexion of a dainty hue. She had very nice feet and plenty of money. All anyone can ask for, I guess. Her name was called Lady Helena Herring, and her age was 25, and she mated well with the Earl. Good to know. <laughs> Mr. Saltina grew very lonely after the Earl was married, and he could not bear a single life any more, so, failing Ethel, he married one of the maids in waiting at Buckingham Palace by name Bessie Top, a pleasant girl of eighteen with a round red face and rather starry eyes. So now that all our friends are married, I will add a few words about their families. Ethel and Bernard returned from their honeymoon with a son and heir. A nice fat baby called Ignatius Bernard. They soon had six more children, four boys and three girls, and some of them were twins, which was very exciting. The Earl only got two rather sickly girls called Helen and Marie, because the last one looked slightly French. (laughs) Okay. Mr. Saltina had a large family of ten. Five of each, but he grew very morose as the years rolled by, and his little cottage was very noisy, and his wife was a bit annoying at times, especially when he took to dreaming of Ethel and wishing he could have married her. Still, he was a pious man in his way and found relief in prayer. Oh, (laughs) Bernard Clark was the happiest of our friends, as he loved Ethel to the bitter end, and so did she him, and they had a nice house too. The Earl soon got tired of his sickly daughters, and his wife had a savage temper, so he thought he would divorce her and try again, but he gave up the idea after several attempts and decided to offer it up as a mortification. (laughs) Wow. So now, my readers, we will say farewell to the characters of this book. The End by Daisy Ashford. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so brutal. so messed up. Oh my goodness, and I thought there would be no twist. I was wrong, everybody. rough. Oh, wow. I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was really fun. That was really good. And one of the things that's in the preface, which I didn't read, which... 
J.M. Barry wrote the preface, right. and he said, not only is this a book written by a kid, but right. it's remarkable in that she finished it. Because lots yeah, of kids yeah. write stories, very few of them actually finish right. it. Right. And she wrapped that up real tight. Right. <laughs> like that's, right. That is a finished story. It's kind of like when a British TV series ends, right. and like half the people are dead, they just... They just close those storylines up, you know? <laughs> but my goodness, that ending was like, really, she was like, okay, I have to end it. I have to All finish right, it. All right, what am I going to do yeah. here? <laughs> it has to be good. It has to be like really salty, really like steamy. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, that's really remarkable. That delivered. That delivered on entertainment. Daisy Ashford, you are indeed a hero. She really <laughs> is. That's something. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Yep. And if you want us to do more of this, we are more than ready and willing to find more books. And Absolutely. This is this is definitely a very fun way to spend to spend a couple of hours. So. So yeah, it's us for the week. Yep. Uh, this has been. I don't know what to read you. And we read you something. I hope you liked it. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. We love you very bye. much.